Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts i used to have so many men how this beguiling woman in her 50s She looked like a million bucks Scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes Nearly 10 million dollars was all gone It's just unbelievable Hide your money in your old rich man Because <laughs> she is on the prowl Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer On the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts I know you'll be alright Even when times get hard And you feel like you're in the dark You will see Just how beautiful life can be When you soften your heart You can finally start To live your Truthiest Life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Truthiest Life. It's your host, Lisa Haim. And I know you're not going to believe this, but it's a Lisa Lately, which means it's the last Friday of the month. And it's only February 24th. And that's a little bit confusing because February came and it went. And it's a weird month because it's a limited amount of days. And it's not like the regular months, but it's only really a few days shorter yet. It feels like so much more. Anyway, it truly is the end of February coming up. So I'm here doing Elisa lately and it kind of snuck up on me. So I was just kind of getting my thoughts together about what has really been on my mind, my heart, my soul. And I think that pretty much everything right now really comes with wanting to be in deep alignment with myself to the most that I possibly can. And a few things have shaken me a bit uh, in the last few months that have allowed for me to be cracked wide open and see some of the places that I need to work on. And I love this invitation into self because historically, February's are really hard months for me. It's when my seasonal depression or depression really kicks it up a notch. And although I am struggling with a lot of things, I, I don't feel 
depressed right now. So that's a win for me. And I credit that to deeply taking care of myself in radically new ways and moving away from habits of destruction or just regular habits that don't suit me as much as newer rituals can. I recently talked about the 5 by 5 mindful method that I've been doing every morning, and it's no doubt that that's showing up for me. If you missed it, well, you can go back to that episode to get to the details, and I'll just sum it up with every morning before jumping on my phone or into even anything, I'm doing a few things to recenter that include movement, stillness, journaling, breathwork, meditation. If that sounds like too much for you, I'm just going to say choose one. Wake and shake, focus on your breath, grab a journal, meditate one of those things every day and you will surely anchor into a different version of yourself than than grabbing your phone. I've actually been really successful at not being on my phone in the morning at all. I think overall just being on my phone less does make me happier, which definitely leads me to think more deeply about my relationship to social media, a career in social media. No changes for now, but uh, I'm constantly really thinking about that and Just yesterday, a thought popped up into my mind that was so profound. And essentially, you've heard before the advice, live every day as if it's your last, right? And it's almost so cliche that we throw it out the window. But I thought about it a little bit more deeply yesterday because somebody that I know very abruptly passed away. And he certainly didn't know that it was his last day, the day before or that day even. And therefore, who knows what he wasted time on. And so if we really sink deeply into that thought and into the the sobering reality that we never know when it is going to be our last day, most likely, we have to really think about, are we spending this day, assuming it's our last day, as fully as we want to or as deeply present as we want to? And I think having a baby and slowly getting sick most recently has really shaken me up to that thought and Yeah, I really want to make sure that I am doing things that are truly aligned with who I am and and just not fall prey to habitual or addicting behaviors such as the cell phone that I know doesn't make me feel my happiest or my strongest. Anyway, looking at my little list of of things that I'm going to share with you today, I think that the, the overall message here is that I am unifying into one whole person And I am actively looking at the ways that I don't show up as a whole person. So I I know who I am deeply. And there are moments when I am not that whole version of myself. And I'm examining where they are and pushing myself to be whole, to be my full potential and really shining light into the places where I'm, I'm getting stuck. So one of the things that I'm really focusing on is language, recognizing that it matters. In high school, I was in this unique English program. We didn't follow the regular school curriculum. We kind of did things our own wacky way. And we had a lot of time to explore creative writing and journal entries. And we also had time to share those journal entries and creative writing that we did. And you didn't have to share, but if you did share, you were not allowed to use disclaimers. So you couldn't start with, oh, I think this is so bad, or I wrote this really fast. You had to just open your journal and read what you wrote. And it was so challenging. And since then, I've always noticed when people start with disclaimers for anything that I find it just like 
nonsense. Like, let's just like get to the point. It's so much stronger if you just speak your truth. So one of the things that I'm trying to do more is to lean into not using disclaimers in any part of my life, not in emails. They're just like fluffer words and they distract from what you're trying to say. Not in emails, not in personal friendships or relationships. There's a lot of places that we do use it because it creates a little bit of a buffer, but it's needless and we're so much stronger when we speak without them. So examples of some of these disclaimers are things like just popping on to say or I was just going to say, or this is bad, but, or don't be mad, but, or even things like at the end of the day, it's da, da, da. There are so many things that habitually go in front of a sentence that detract from the meaning of what we're trying to say. It's a little bit like beating around the bush and we can be effective, stronger, and get what we want or get heard more effectively if we remove those fluffers. So first step is to just become aware of when you do them. And if that's too hard, start with becoming aware of where people do them. In your email, you will find tons of them. They are disguised as pleasantries, but really they're just nonsense. And in your personal life and friendships, you'll see them all about and it will be really cool to just flag them because once you see them outside of you, then you will more easily see them within you. So step one is to start noticing where they're popping up around you in text or verbally. And step two is to start noticing where and what your common ones are. And then step three is to try to write emails and verbally speak without using them. And it can make you feel really afraid at first. It's like a you got to bulldoze through it. And then once you speak that sentence without it and you and and you speak so truly from your heart without putting some little softener in front of it. Wow, it feels good. And I think that language really does play an impact as to how we are perceived and a lot of the times we are not utilizing how strong we all are or showing that off and showing up in our true strength which we all have. It demands respect from other people. And I know a lot of us are people pleasers or easily pushed around in our workplace. And it's an easy way to not be like, you have to respect me. But you'll see that it just naturally demands respect and a different type of response from people. So that's something that I'm really working on. I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another thing that I'm working on is sitting with criticism. I just finished my yoga training, my advanced 300 hour at Yoga Shanti. I'm really proud of myself because a lot of life hurdles got in the way and I still did it. And at the end of my training, I had to present a sequence that showed that I understood everything that I've learned in these last six months to my mentors and my teachers. And my teachers are Rodney Yee and Colleen Sedman. Sademan, I think, is actually the correct pronunciation. And they are intimidating. They are two of the best yogis in the world. And by that, I don't mean they're good at yoga. I mean, they understand the full spectrum of yoga, mind, body, spirit. And they are brilliant, gifted healers at what they do. And they are not shy to give criticism. And after presenting the sequence that I worked really hard on, they gave it to me. And I loved it. I had to sit there and practice not defending everything that they said back. And the takeaways from sitting with the criticism were just so powerful. And it wasn't just, you know, downward facing dog, make it better by turning your foot in. No, no, no. They called me out as a person. And because I was able to actively listen and sit present and not be triggered by them telling me where I need to improve and what they see, I took so much away. And it's a really hard thing to be able to take constructive criticism, which is just criticism with a nice name on top of it. But if we're able to really digest criticism from somebody, it, it can be really interesting. And I, I kind of used it as a little bit of an experiment because I was noticing myself getting uncomfortable during certain parts. And then as time passed, I could digest what they said and they were correct about so many things and and. It actually, Rodney Yee, I will say, has totally changed my life because he's somebody that, although I've been in this training with them, it's been half virtual, meaning I can go to the studio or do it online. And so I've been to the studio a handful of times, but even so, there's a lot of students. We don't get a ton of one-on-one time, but he saw something in me that, and, and he said it straight out what he saw, and he called me out on something, and it just like was spot on. It was something about myself that I haven't been able to verbalize that I know I need to work on. And he has given me so much to work through with this 
more than years of therapy. And it's not to say that therapy then was useless. I've actually taken it to therapy and I've been working so hard at these things. And and I'm being a little vague because it is a little bit deeply personal. But what you will see is the effects of what he shined light on within me. And now that I'm working through it, I am already feeling so much more confident. And I'm so glad that I was able to take what he said and not get defensive. I feel like that's just such a thing that we, I don't know if it's natural or learned, but we get so defensive when somebody tells us that we are one way or they call it like they see it. And it's so important to be an active listener and digest what people say about us in, in certain circumstances. In other circumstances, it might mean that we need a boundary. But given this circumstance, it has really fueled a fire within me. And on that note, how we can embody these versions of ourselves that we want to be, I have really found that what happens on the mat actually becomes embodied within us. So again, going back to the the sequence that I had to create for my final, it was a fierce grounding sequence with a focus on listening to the body. So I had a lot of grounding asanas, postures within my sequence that I practice over and over again because I had to present it. And what was super interesting was by being in these postures, what I took away with it by the end of the day was a fierceness and aliveness and a deep connection to my body. And I didn't realize when going through the sequence on the mat how that would be translated after, but I felt differently in my body And this reminder that yoga is so much more than like what the modern world shapes it out to be, that it has something to, that it's even a workout. I mean, yes, it is a workout, but it is such a deep connector to our worth and our self and it quiets everything around us and it can bring out a ferociousness. And even though people think of yoga as being like kumbaya, peaceful, in fact, it just stirs up within us exactly what we need that day and connects us to our truth without the outside world weighing in. And it carries with us. I think that's the main thing. You know, going on my yoga journey probably 10, 12 years now, I'm continuing to peel layers back about what I love so much. And right now it has certainly reminded me that embodiment of emotions is so key. Embodiment of who we are You know, it's one thing to feel confident. It's another thing to feel confident. Do you know what I mean? You know, when you just like feel it in your body and yoga as this always available way to jump in is something that I hope everybody can gift themselves with. I do hope to be teaching more to kind of drive this through because I know it's not tangible unless you actually feel it. So one of my goals is to definitely teach more yoga this year and give the gift of being embodied with your greatness that I've come to experience through my own yoga practice. I also want to be honest that this yoga training that I've been in has not been all fun and games. Doing a yoga teacher training really rips you wide open. Learning anything new really does, I think. I have talked about it a little bit, but when you are learning something new, there's a learning curve. And on the beginning of that curve is a lot of frustration before you find your flow. And during that frustration point, you really hit up against parts of yourself that otherwise you may have left behind in your adult world. And for me, uh, twofold kind of came up. One was 
my abilities to learn, remember, and be smart really came up for me. Uh, I think a lot of us have triggers to learning and childhood and what that was like in our growing up environment. For me, I never felt smart. I was surrounded surrounded by very smart people. And I have a lot of bones to pick with, I don't know if this was like a New York thing or my public school, but very specifically, I remember we would be put into reading groups. So within my class of 25 people in elementary school, we would be put into three groups. Let's call it green blue and red. And it was very obvious that red was the smart people, blue was the medium, and green was below that. And, you know, I was in blue and I felt shame for not being in red. I could only imagine what green felt like. And to be viewed by your other peers and put into these groups so publicly, it doesn't end up being supportive, even if that is the idea that, you know, put people at the level that they're at. Doing it within the confines of a whole class actually created this divide that made it distracting to learn or or be better. And I, I have like a little bit of myself that always returns to that blue group person to say, I can't do this. I'm not smart. When in reality, you know, I'm somebody that works really hard when it comes to academic stuff. I understand the formula of what they want to do well in typical school. But, you know, I went to Columbia grad school and Ivy League school. I worked really hard to get there. So deep down, that belief is that is still I'm not smart, no matter what the academics of me say. And learning new stuff sometimes brings me back to that place. And it's so cool to have the opportunity to work through that as an adult, but it feels really crappy in the moment. And then there's the physical practice of yoga that if I just attend a yoga class here and there, I might find my physical restrictions and then we're on to the next pose. But in a yoga class training, you're really um, working through poses very slowly and getting to know their architecture on a much deeper level. And I have a very restricted body. It's not flexible. I know that a lot of people probably think it is for whatever reason, but I'm not flexible. And the restrictions piss me off, especially it brings out comparison. Other people so easily going into a split. Me, I, I'm, I mean, my split, you would literally laugh at. But it frustrates me, especially because I put so much into being within my body and yet I don't see the results of flexibility or things like that. So again, these things really came up for me as I hit my physical restrictions so early on compared to people. But again, it's been such a great experience at better getting to know myself. And on the other side of this training, I'm feeling so confident. I have an improved sense of self-worth. I have new tools in my toolbox to help people drop in, fork the noise, and connect with their bodies on a spiritual, physical, emotional level. And I'm, I'm just hope that if you want to learn something, just know that there will be things thrown at you that say you can't and you absolutely can. And it's worth pushing through that learning curve because the other side of that frustration is flow.
I'm Stephanie J. Block. And I'm Mary Lee Fairbanks. And we host Stages Podcast. Binge close to 100 episodes. Hear the inside stories from backstage and behind the scenes as we go beyond the resume and into the heart of creativity and what it really takes to be in the business of show business. Don't miss our chats with this season's Tony nominees. If you love theater and entertainment, you are going to love Stages Podcast. Subscribe to Stages Podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and visit us at stagespodcast.net. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Another really cool thing that I've been doing has been, oh, I'm so proud of myself, learning how to sew. So I, so, so, I used to know how to sew on a sewing machine. I was not amazing by any means, but I was a fashion major before nutrition, and I've always loved design and creating on my own. It has been close to 15 years since I was on my sewing machine and the beginning of the pandemic I said to myself I'm gonna learn how to sew I even bought this like very cheap small sewing machine and I never did it and it pissed me off because I really wanted to but I'm also not somebody that is a great like online learner when it comes to technical things such as a sewing machine and so I signed myself up for sewing classes instead of just telling myself I'm going to do it or trying to do it myself and what has really helped me the most has been entering the exp the experience of learning something new with what I'll call learning something new energy previously, uh, when I try to learn something new, I get very caught up on the idea of I have to remember everything. So let me write it down and let me just pay so much attention that I end up remembering nothing and not even having a good experience. I have gone into this with such a relaxing nature of 
I'm going to learn. I'm going to learn slowly. It's okay if I don't pick up everything. It's okay if I don't get it right on the first time. I don't need to write every detail down. Instead, I'm just going to be. And to try and learn something from a place of just being instead of I need to absorb every single detail, which is how I've previously gone about learning from a place of anxiety. I can't tell you how much more effective it is on this other side. I am absorbing so much more by just being than trying so hard. And it's been really, really, really cool. I'm very supported in this class by a professional that's helping me move through so that I'm not doing this all on my own, but I'm really proud of myself for, first of all, getting up and doing the thing I've been saying I wanted to do for putting a a quote unquote hobby in the middle of my work week schedule, even though it's not quote unquote productive or adding to my professional life. It's simply something just for me and having it in my schedule has felt really good. It feels so cool to create something with my own hands and have these basic skills back in my arsenal. So if you are thinking of doing something that you've been putting off, I hope that this is your green light to do it and to bring that engaged, not trying so hard energy into it. Okay, next up on Lisa Lately, Many of you know, and in case you haven't, um, I had a pregnancy loss in November, December. And since then, it's been about three months or so. It seems like everywhere I look, there's a pregnancy announcement. And this would be around the time that I too would be announcing if it wasn't a loss. And I love pregnancy announcements. I think that they are so shock-filled and beautiful and people are so excited. I don't know. I just I just love pregnancy announcements so much. But I have noticed that within me is a trigger. I have what I now call a burst of emotion bubbling within me that is not all positive. And it's shocked me because I have deeply processed my loss and come to peace with it in many ways. I'll just preface this by saying, you know, the medication that I had to get for the ectopic pregnancy, I actually can't get pregnant for six months after anyway. And nonetheless, I don't know if I want to have another child. So all of this to say that I don't want to be pregnant right now. And I don't know if I if I will have another pregnancy in my future, if that's, you know, not something that I that I want. But this burst of emotion has taken me by surprise. And it's pretty much everywhere I look. And it's taken me a long time to really understand what it is. It's taken probably over 15 pregnancy announcements and a therapy session for me to now have a good grip on what's happening. And at first I was confused because what is this emotion? Does it mean that I really want to have another child? Um, Does it mean that I haven't healed and really um, processed what I've went through? And I've now have a deeper understanding that the emotion coming up is just grief. It reminds me of of the loss that I had, and it has nothing to do with the future. When I've shared this with my partner or friends, a lot of the things that they say are like, don't worry, it'll happen to you, or everything happens for a reason, and all of those things are fine and well and true, and things I do believe, actually. You know, I do think even that this happened for a reason, given what I went through with my daughter shortly after. I know I couldn't have survived her, my daughter being in the hospital, being pregnant. You know, there is so much of my faith restored, but those responses don't rub the emotion that comes up properly because all it is, is, is grief of that loss coming up for me. 
And so for anybody who has experienced that or is experiencing it, I want to offer you the advice that my therapist reminded me, I have it within me, but she reminded me that the emotion belongs. And when I have made space for that emotion to come up without me judging its meaning and just saying this belongs, this is reminding me of my loss and the terror of, of the t that time of my life and just the sadness that comes with a true loss, I have space. Like even me saying it right now, right? Like my breath is slowing down. My shoulders are relaxing away from my ears. And with that space, do you know what else comes? Peace. I can have sadness, peace, and happiness for somebody else that's pregnant all in one. And I know my situation is a little bit unique and I don't expect everybody to feel full peace, especially people who have been trying and trying and trying. It certainly might come with why me? Why not me? Why That should be me. But let that come up. Let that belong if that's happening for you too. Whatever is coming up, let that emotion be within you without chasing it off or being fearful of what it means of what type of a person that you are. Even if it's frustration or anger, like let it all come up to the surface. Still with it is going to come space. And I think that we have to stop being so afraid to process our emotions and also not get distracted by the stories that we attach to those feelings that we have. I have already shared this on my Instagram, um, and I know that it affected a lot of people. So for anybody who it may have missed, they wanted it to live here on this Lisa lately as well. It will come up again. I had one woman reach out to me after sharing on social media that it's been five years since her loss, and she's still triggered by pregnancy announcements or specific dates, like the date that she lost it or the due date. And, and these are things that we carry as women that we don't realize every woman is, is carrying within us. So just more normalization into loss and what it goes into it and how it's not an isolated event and we don't heal once. It truly requires our continued attention and tenderness towards the expected and unexpected bumps in our lives when it comes to remembering the losses or fertility struggles that we've had. So I hope that this helps somebody. Okay, my last topic today is talking about drinking and alcohol. I know I've talked about this on a bunch of Lisa Lately's, but the last couple of months with everything going on in my life, alcohol just like hasn't been my vibe for the most part. I'm not a hard no on drinking, but I've taken a very mindful approach to it. And I think that with the, the mocktail huge craze going on. It's awesome. And a lot of people are trying to give up alcohol completely. Again, I've talked about that all or nothing mindset before backfiring for a lot of people. But I thought I could offer some tools into how to be more mindful about drinking if it's something that you're struggling with. And I'm going to work this backwards. I haven't been drinking very much at all. Um, but the other night we went out to dinner and I wanted a glass of wine. So I had one. I think I might have had two actually. And when I got home that night, I noticed that I was not sleeping great. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to really take note of this. I'm going to write down what it feels like after I drink, cementing in that experience to inform the choices that I make in the future. And by taking a moment in my notes in my phone to write down what I felt like, slight headache, dry mouth, not falling deeply into sleep, maybe heightened anxiety a little bit. I actually secured that memory. And I think that a lot of us have post-alcohol or during alcohol symptoms that we brush through that we don't consider when making future drink choices. 
and these were all like very mod um light things that were going on for me. It wasn't a huge headache. It wasn't annoying dry mouth. My sleep wasn't completely awful, but it was just enough for me to write it down and notice it and consider it the next time I have a drink. Because a lot of the times that we do make choices to have a the drink, it comes from that immediate source of pleasure or removal of pain, not very much future thinking about self. So I thought that was just something I've never done before. That is the next day we went out to eat. I had that list and I was like, I don't want any of those things tonight. And so I didn't have a drink. Simple as that. I've talked about this before too, but it's always helpful when having a drink to ask yourself, what emotion am I feeling? If it's anything like anger or sadness, you do not want to add alcohol to that mix. Always asking yourself, am I drinking to numb? I like to ask, will alcohol add to this experience? And I like to also check in with like the normalcy is uh, a lot of times people are used to drinking in certain situations, whether it's dinner, out to dinner, weekend, vacation, everyone else doing it. And it's helpful to notice those things. And instead of just knee jerk ordering a drink, asking myself, do I want it? Is it just the weekend? Is it because I'm out to dinner? Is it vacation or because everyone else is doing doing it? And oftentimes, once we break that cycle once, it's a lot easier than we think that it would be. And especially with the rise of mocktails on menus, at least where where I live, I mean, they're on just about every menu. And it's not just like, you know, non-alcoholic drinks. The best option I used to have was like Red Bull or maybe coconut water at a good restaurant. But now we're getting mocktails and it feels nice to sip on something besides for just water at a meal when you're not drinking. So those are my thoughts on that. And yeah, that's my Lisa Lately for this month. I am doing a lot to work on myself and showing up as the whole version of me. It definitely means taking inventory of my norm. So you might see changes here. You might not notice them. You might see them on social media. Again, you might not notice them, but I am taking inventory of my norm of things that I've always done. And I'm making sure that I am recalibrated into being the version of myself I want to be and that I already am. So thank you all for listening. I hope you all have a great week ahead and I hope that this episode helps you. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
how this beguiling woman in her 50s she looked like a million bucks scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes nearly 10 million dollars was all gone it's just unbelievable hide your money in your old rich men because <laughs> she is on the prowl listen to queen of the con season five the athlete whisperer on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts